0: this time, and some people are so excited they're running, and we're okay with running in church. Just don't hit anyone, but we're totally okay with that. Um, So congratulations if you just graduated from something. Um, Lots of our high schoolers actually had their parties either yesterday um, or today, so a lot of them aren't here, but I was just reflecting on graduation um, for some reason, because it was a long time ago for me. And this week when I was preparing and as I was reflecting on that, God brought to mind these two names, um, Gary and Julie. And I started reflecting on on why he did that, because Gary was like this basketball phenomenon. Like, he was wicked good, but he knew it. Um, and so he could kind of do no wrong on the basketball court, and then off the basketball court, he was just as smooth as he was with his... Um, His words and his, um, with the girls and on the basketball. So anyway, so that's Gary. Um, We'll just stop there. And Julie, Julie was like the fashion phenom. She was like the partier and the most popular girl. So she would wear something and then the next week everyone else would buy it. And she was so popular that, that I couldn't even like be friends with her friends of her friends. That's how far, I mean, I was kind of low, but I wasn't the low. But anyway, so that was Julie. So um, the whole reason, like, uh, you know, again, I couldn't talk to Julie, and if I tried to talk to Gary, he would just say something sarcastic or witty in response, and then everyone would laugh and think he was awesome, and then I wouldn't say anything anymore. Um, and so I'm like, you know, God, why, why these two people? Why are you bringing these two people up? And I realized that it was because um, if I was to put a top five list together, I don't recommend you do this, but, but I did, I mean... If I was to put a top five list together of people who are least likely to come to faith in Christ, they're least likely to have the story of Jesus and the person of Jesus shared with them, these would be two of my top five. And now I didn't fully understand what it meant to follow Jesus in high school, but, but when I reflect on it, they were there. And so you can imagine how shocked I was at my 10-year reunion, still now a few years ago when they were the ones that were sharing Jesus with everybody. Julie and Gary, not knowing each other, coming to faith in totally different circumstances. Like, I come, and I'm like, I'm a pastor, I think I'm starting to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And they're like, one of them was in the bar sharing Jesus with all their friends, um, and the other one was like getting up and telling everyone what a difference Jesus has made in his life. And I'm like, oh my gosh! And I started to realize... Um, kind of the, the problem with my thinking. What kind of a box and limitations had I put around Jesus that I couldn't realize that two of my top five, why did I even have that list? And so when we, we've been in this kind of go and overflow series, not kind of, we have. We've been in this series called Go and Overflow and we've looked at what does it mean to live this overflowing life. Um, and we looked at the first week that the first kind of key or really main point was that we needed to have a first-hand or a first-person experience with Jesus. That Acts 4.13 was really true. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they, the religious elite, took note that these men had been with Jesus that it didn't matter on education, it didn't matter background, it didn't matter whatever these men, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. So we, if we want to have this overflowing life, this life that of abundant, it um, doesn't mean financial abundance, it, it doesn't mean like we have to be happy all the time, but we have this joy in our hearts that we know that, that this life isn't all that matters, that eternity and this life with God is what matters. That has to start with this first-person experience with Jesus. Second week, we looked at the, a key to living this overflowing lo- life was keeping focus um, on things that really mattered, things in the kingdom of God. And so we looked at Acts 6 and how there was this um, distraction, there was this threat to the unity of the community, and how... The, uh, the apostles, the original 12, needed to keep focused on what was important, on the things that mattered in the kingdom of God, that they had to believe that there was room for one more, because this was really the first time that, that if you didn't speak Hebrew, that if you weren't a Jew from Jerusalem, then you might be able to enter the story and this group, this community of God known as these people that would be called Christians. And so that was a really important thing, and, and they had to keep focused on that. And because we have so many distractions in our life, it's really easy for us, I think, to get distracted from the kingdom of God. Like, I'm kind of a superhero freak, if you know me, and so I really wanted to go see X-Men First Class. And, um, you know, so that, seeing that movie or not seeing that movie wasn't, I don't think it made a huge <laughs> impact in the kingdom of God, I'm just saying. Um, not bad, but I'm just saying. But when I got to go with my life group yesterday and serve food and... Um, Help at this thrift store and, and bless people who were coming to get clothes and ended up getting uh, a couple groceries of free food. I think that did matter in the kingdom of God and it was fun. Um, but today we look at and conclude with this third key to the overflowing life. So if the first one is this first hand encounter with Jesus and the second one is a focus on Jesus and the kingdom of God, well then the third one has to start with an F. But um, the third one is really to follow the example of the new apostles. To follow the example of the new apostles. Now you might say, what does that mean? And so I'll give you that answer. Um, You want to go to Acts chapter 8 if you have your Bible, um, or if it's on your phone and you want to look at it there, that's fine. Whatever you need to do and whatever will be meaningful to you. Um, You can look at the screen, but it's often more helpful to take notes on it. So as we turn to Acts chapter 8, let me just open us in prayer. Um, God, we know that you're here. You, um, the, the ancient church celebrated Pentecost, this coming down of your spirit, this giving of your spirit um, to us. And so you dwell in us if we believe in you. Um, and yet you're here. And so I pray that you'd give um, us the focus and us the wisdom and the discernment to uh, look at your word and to see what it said then and what it has to say to us today and that we would be changed by it that we'd walk out of here different, God, because of you. Uh, So we just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Acts chapter 8, the story's continuing. This narrative that we kept talking about the last couple weeks is continuing. And so um, in Acts chapter 8, though, there's this switch. Something has happened. It's not just a threat to the unity of um, our widows aren't getting food. Now it's like kind of a big deal because on this day it says in Acts Chapter 8, verse 1 A great persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. Stephen was one of the um, people in charge of the food program that we talked about last week. He was one of these seven. um, And they threw rocks at him, not to make light of it, but they stoned him and he was killed. And so, godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the word there, or the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So the first thing I think this says to us to follow the example of the new apostles is that we share Jesus wherever we go. We share Jesus wherever we go. It says in that day a great persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. If you remember um, when we've talked about Acts before, Acts eight is kind of the linchpin. It's kind of the theme. It's kind of the roadmap to the whole book, the whole narrative, the whole story. And it says in Acts eight that when Jesus was in his last kind of moments on earth after he had ascended, he was with the disciples and he said, but you're going to receive power. So stay here and wait. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's why, this, uh, that's why I think this part is in this story. Because the writer of Acts wants to connect the theme of why he's writing this mission of Jesus to the whole rest of the book. And so in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 6, he introduces some characters that will show up later in the book. So in Acts chapter 6, he's introduced us to Stephen. He introduced us to Philip. These were two of the seven Greek-speaking men that would help administrate the food program for this problem that we saw in Acts 6. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back to it. Um, And now he's saying, look, it's going to go out. Interestingly enough, though, it goes out through persecution, number one, and number two, it goes out through the, what I'm calling the new apostles. The original 12 heard this command. You're going to stay, and you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go. And then they stayed, and they waited for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came, and then they stayed. They didn't go. They had going pains, hence my cheesy title. So it says that in Acts chapter 4, though, those who had been scattered, the new apostles, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. This is, this is gigantic. This is really big because Philip is one of the seven. So Philip is one of those administrators of the food program. And that's, we talked about last week, the task wasn't the thing that defined us. So we can serve coffee or we can set up um, curtains. We can play an instrument. We can try and talk. We can talk to the, food, the children's team. That, those are tasks, but they don't define who we are. The Spirit of God defines who we are. And if you look at the qualifications back in Acts chapter 6 of these, in particular here, men, but not excluding women, it said they were full of grace. They were full of God's wisdom. They were full of his Spirit. That's what defined them, and that's what defined Philip. And so he's not just a table server. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a new apostle. Um, And he went to Samaria. Now, now, I could give you like a 15-minute explanation of Samaria, but I'm going to try and hold it to, because number one, I'm not sure if you really care, and number two, it's not the whole point of the story, but, but every, everything goes down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is built on, a, on kind of a mountain, and so anywhere you go, whether it's north, south, east, or west, you're going down from, Samaria, from Jerusalem. So he goes down geographically, from Jerusalem to Samaria, but Samaria is to the north. Now, Samaria is hated by the Jews because uh, the Samaritans were formed because at one point there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah, and the northern kingdom had a capital city of Samaria. The southern kingdom had a capital city of Jerusalem, and they were considered all Israel. They were all Jewish, and they were all friends, even though sometimes they would fight and have difficulties. But then one time the uh, Syrian empire came in and demolished the northern kingdom. And they tried to demolish the southern kingdom, and they kind of resisted, and so they kind of said, haha! but here's what happened. All the northern people were spread kind of throughout the Assyrian empire. They wanted to destroy their culture. They wanted to destroy who they were. They wanted to erase that, and then the few people that stayed, they brought in new people, and eventually they intermarried, and they kind of lost some of their culture, so they were considered these half-Jews, which to a Jew is a really, really big deal. So when... They got to come back several hundred years later and rebuild their temple. The, these half-Jews came to help rebuild the temple, and the Jews went, mm-mm, mm-mm, you, you, know, you went and married other people, and oh, no, you don't. And so that created this hatred between the two of them. And that hatred continued for, for 500 years to the time of Jesus. And so this, pretty much the whole reason to that whole little diatribe was this was the last place that people would have shared Jesus. The last place they would have gone. The disciples, the original 12, didn't go there. Now, now I think that's instructive for us. Where's the last place that you would go to share Jesus? Is it, is it your work? Like, you know, that's just separate. Like, I have my faith. I have my faith and then I have my work, and the two shall never cross, I would never bring my faith there. I would never share Jesus there. Is it school? Like, you know, I go to school, and nobody has to know I'm a Christian. I'm just going to go to school, and that's going to be the last place. Maybe it's your home. Maybe um, you just have a real difficulty either sharing about Jesus within your home or with your extended family. And you're like, you know what? I just can't. I can't do it. It's the last place I would go. Maybe it's your neighbors. But, but this is huge because this is the last place they would have gone. And the original 12 didn't even go there. Well, it's not entirely true. If we skip down to verse 14, we'll see that after Philip shares about Jesus there, there's great rejoicing. They accept this idea, they accept the person of Jesus. And then word gets, back to, word gets back to Jerusalem, and it says in verse 14, when the apostles, meaning the original 12, heard in Jerusalem that people in Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John there. Because they're like, no way! There's no way those people, those half-Jews, could accept the word of God. But remember our, my attempt at a drawing last week? Um, I tried to draw on a whiteboard, and it wasn't very good. But... Um, it was not just geographic moving out. It was also um, the type of people moving out. So it was the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and then it was the Greek-speaking Jews, and now it's the half-Jews that are hearing the word of God. And so the the reason why he goes to Samaria, why he puts this in, is because he wants to show that ever-widening circle, that there's room for one more. There's room for someone else. And if you're like, you know, I've, I've had this cultural baggage or this heritage baggage or people have put me in a box because I'm German or because I'm Norwegian or, or whatever, um, there's no room for that. That's what the writer's saying. And if you've heard that before, we don't believe that. There is room for you. And, and so, with the, ex- the other really instructive thing here, which is why I said follow the example of the new apostles— is because the original 12 really, really stopped being initiators at this point. All throughout the narrative so far, it's been these apostles, these first 12 that have followed Jesus, or this 120 that have been with Jesus, that have been the initiators of sharing about Jesus to these people. And all of a sudden, it stops. And now they become the responders. In verse 14, they responded to the new apostles taking action. And, and then in, verse, in chapter 9, we're going to find out about this Saul guy and he becomes an initiator of the gospel. He's a new apostle. He's not one of the original 12. The original 12 kind of become responders. When I look back at my interactions with Gary and Julie, I became a responder at my 10-year reunion. I didn't have the privilege, I didn't have the joy of getting to be an initiator in that because I was scared because I didn't really believe. Um, and so they go and share wherever. The other thing they do is they f- to follow this example of Jesus, to live this overflowing life, um, I think we follow the example of the new apostles and we share Jesus with whoever God leads us to. So if you look at Acts 8, chapter, or verse 9 the story continues. He goes into the specifics now. It's in Samaria, but now there's a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave them their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, and he, astonished, he was astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. I mean, if you think about the last place that you'd want to share Jesus, like we just talked about, now think of the last person, that you would want to share Jesus with. Like I already kind of admitted, like Gary and Julie were on my last person list. Maybe you have someone on your last person list. I mean, Simon, this guy Simon, is a sorcerer and he has a, messi- he has a messiah complex. Like he, he thinks he's someone great. People call him someone great. He wants to be someone great and he's going to use any which way to be that great person. He's the last person. He's too arrogant, too powerful, too influential, too mystical, too magical, too mysterious. I would have written him off. Maybe Simon, maybe Philip did. We don't, we don't know. We can't get in Philip's head. But, but maybe that you're like, that's me. I'm the person that I thought was the last person that could really come to know Jesus. Because I've done too many bad things or I've done, um, I think, too many weird thoughts or I'm, I'm too into myself or I, whatever you think it is. The story says that Simon believed and was baptized. Jesus' arms are open as wide as he can stretch them. And if you think you're the last person to know Jesus, let me just tell you that you can know Jesus. You can believe and be baptized, no matter where you've been. I mean, Simon was mystical and magical. Go back to Acts eight chapter, or chapter eight, verse three. Verse one introduces this guy, Saul, who's standing there approving of Simon or of Stephen's uh, killing. And then it says, in verse three, Saul began to destroy, or maybe in your translation it says ravage, the church. He didn't even go to the temple anymore. The Christians had stopped meeting in the temple because they were getting persecuted now. They're just meeting in their homes. He went into their homes, it says in verse 3, and dragged them out, both men and women, and put them in prison. If, if there's a guy that is a poster child for the last person to come to Jesus, it's Saul Two. Maybe you think, I've done too many bad things to Christians. I've said too many wrong things. Saul came to know Jesus and became a huge influential force for this kingdom of God. So so those are just two people and maybe you relate to them. But maybe for you it's not a person and a name when you think of the last person that you'd share Jesus with. Maybe it's a type of person. I mean, the Samaritans were a type of people. For maybe, for, maybe for you, it's, um, it's the poor. You're like, you know what? Poor, they just, they can't know Jesus. Or maybe it's the rich. The rich, you know, if you're too rich, you, you really can't. You really can't know Jesus. Maybe it's someone that has a completely different lifestyle preference. There's no way they could know Jesus. Maybe it's someone who is so intellectual and scientific-minded that you're like, no, there's no way they can know Jesus. I obviously had some thoughts on that. I mean, um, Gary was too popular, too into himself. I thought, I thought, to know Jesus. Julie was too popular, too into the fashion and into having all the friends and all the parties. She, there's no way she could know Jesus. And you know what that did? That was like me putting up this Samaritan-like fence around myself and around God, and around what God could do. And I was literally, if you think of a, a, an overflowing life, you know, of water coming out, I was, I was damming up what I thought God could do. I was, I was putting a lid on my cup of what I thought God could do. And when we when were strict and think of there's no way they could, I think that's what we do. It's like we shove a lid on it and say, God, you can't possibly do that. And then we wonder why we don't experience overflowing blessing and overflowing joy in our lives. It's because we say, no, God, you can't. When God says, I can do all things. And so um, and so, how do we break up the dam? How do, we, how do we take that lid off? Philip simply does what he saw the apostles doing. And the apostles did what they saw Jesus doing. And then we see that, that Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized and it says he followed Philip everywhere. Why would he follow him everywhere? Because he didn't know anything about this kingdom of God. And so he's like, hey, this new apostle, he's, he's doing that. I'll do what he's doing. So Simon starts doing what Philip's doing. Philip did what he saw the apostles doing. The apostles did what they saw Jesus doing. And on and on it could go until it gets to us. So what are we to do to break up the dam? We're just to do what the apostles did, what these new apostles did. They shared Jesus wherever. And they shared Jesus with whoever. And I think they shared Jesus whenever. If you go down to verse 26, if we really want to follow this example of the new apostles, then we have to share Jesus whenever God leads us. It says in verse 26, that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, maybe it says Candace or Kandakit, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. So he's in charge of the treasury for the queen. You couldn't find a more different person than Philip, but also a more um, respected, like super high official. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So he had enough money to buy a scroll, because remember, they don't have—they don't have their Bible on a phone. They don't have like a nice little NIV or something like that. They don't even have the New Testament, but they just have—they just have scrolls, and they're very expensive because they're hand-copied. There is no printing press. And so he's got a scroll of Isaiah. He's got enough money. Well, he's in charge of the treasury, so maybe he took some of the money from the queen. Um, But he has a book. He has it in his hands, and he's reading it. And the Spirit of God tells Philip, "Go, go to that chariot and stand near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading from the book of Isaiah. He didn't know what to say, so what does he say? He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian treasury CFO says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him in the chariot. And this is the passage he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the the eunuch Asked Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What did he do? He just did what he saw the apostles doing, which is what they saw Jesus doing. He started where people were at. And in this case, it was kind of easy because he had the scroll open. He was reading from the Bible. He was reading about a prophecy that you could say talked about Jesus. And he said, well, look, you're reading here. Let me tell you about Jesus. And isn't that what we know, most of us, many of us? Not all of us, but many of us know the answer is Jesus. You know, it just depends on what the question is. But let's care enough about people to ask the question first. Um, And say, um, this is why I think Jesus is the answer. Not arrogantly, not, not aggressively, um, but lovingly. And so I think this, this passage tells us a ton, but it tells us that we have to be listening. I mean, Philip listened for the Holy Spirit. He was quiet enough and he was um, still enough and he had been reading enough and he was connected with God enough. When the Spirit said, go, he went. The other thing I think it instructs us on um, is that, that when God said go, Philip didn't go, well, you know, it's noon, it's hot, that's a desert road. You know, I'm just going to wait until later. You know, just give me a week, and then I'll go. And, and I heard something when I was in a Bible study in college that I didn't quite get. But now that I'm a, now that I'm a parent I love, delayed obedience is not obedience. Delayed obedience is not obedience. And, and as a parent, you're like, I know I'm going to claim that. But as a child of God, we're like, oh, Father, please don't tell me that. <laughs> we totally want our cake and want to eat it too. And, and delayed obedience is not obedience. And so when God says, hey, go, we need to go. And it might be as simple as um, um, your neighbor you see has a need. And, and you say, I, I think God wants me to meet that need. Um, a friend of mine had his friends were struggling with something. He's like, I really feel like we should do something. And so we suggested like, well, maybe all we need to do is bring them food. Maybe that is just enough to say, hey, we care. And so we did. And it broke this huge barrier to this friend who's very far from God, just has a hard time understanding God as love when he sees all the evil in the world. And they're going through a hard time and our friend brought food and said, hey, my life, my life group made this food for you. She didn't know what to do with that. Um, I'm, I'm struggling and wrestling with God on, is, if, am I being delayed in my obedience on um, a need that, that an acquaintance of mine has and if, if I'm supposed to meet that? Um, and, and she's single and her deck is... Um, she needs to repair it. and We were just in a conversation and she just kind of said, um, oh, I, I, need to, I need to fix my deck. I don't know when I'm going to do it. And now I'm praying about, okay, am I, to, am I supposed to be meeting that need? So again, I can break, as, as a point, not just to do nice things, but as a point to say, as people who love Jesus, we want to do this for you. So I can break down that stereotype. So, so sharing Jesus whenever, wherever, and, and with whoever. Not, not because we're going to get like gold badges on our, our arm or because we're going to get gold stickers or, or free movie passes or something like that, but because Jesus is really the key to this overflowing life. That following Jesus really is what gives us this fulfillment. So how do we do that? I mean, I've given you a good like emotional appeal to say, hey, we should share Jesus forever. And maybe you're like, yeah, we should. How? <laughs> well, my friend Tim has a story that puts meat on the skeleton of how, how he did in, in one simple conversation. And so, Tim, why don't you come up and would you share that story with us?
1: One of the roles I have is helping people fix computers. And... I was at an office helping solve a problem and the woman that I was helping made a comment about angels. And she said something along the lines of that she wondered if angels were um, really there to help us. And she said she would physically feel uh, some, a presence pass her leg. And she didn't know what that meant. And so she asked me, so what do you think? what it means or is it a good thing? And I said, Well ultimately I the best answer I can give you only makes sense in the context of a relationship with Jesus. The Bible is very clear that angels are messengers. And so to really know what that angel is trying to communicate to you, you really have to know who is sending that angel. And and so she said, Well I don't really understand what that means and and so i pursued that idea of well what a relationship with jesus is and i shared with her the gospel at that moment the the good news and i said so after doing that i said now i don't know where you are on your spiritual journey but is that something that interests you and so what did i share with her well I have a a basic outline that I have uh, to, when I have the opportunity to share with someone, I can pull this outline out and cover that regardless of how much time I have. And the outline is, it starts with God. Of course, you have to believe that there is a God. Um, Then there is a problem. And... I If necessary, I can talk about Romans 3.23 or just describe how our sinfulness uh, gets in the way of our relationship with God and breaks that fellowship. Then there's the solution. And obviously that's Jesus paying the, the price, the penalty for our sin. Um, and you know, we can talk about Colossians 2.13 and 14, how Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. And then the last one is, so there's God, the problem, the solution, and our response. And that is probably one of the most critical issues because you can believe and, and accept the first three, but unless you accept, uh, as uh, John 1.12 says, if you believe and accept, then God has given you the right to become children of God. And so I, I had a few more minutes to in this conversation with this woman, to to talk about that but i've also had points where um i was at a it was a conference and had a conversation with someone and he said well you've got three minutes to to talk about what it means to have a relationship with god and i whipped through that outline i did it now i don't you know he's like okay well that's fine and walked away but he was one willing to hear and i he got all the information that he needed to accept christ now, hopefully that plants a seed and he, learned, he remembers at he remembers some point else. But having that outline, I was prepared. I was able to um, succinctly and progressively get through what it means to know Christ in a personal way, the good news. And, and so I've, I've listened to some other people that you know may have 10 minutes and they just kind of are all over the board and even I get lost. And so it's having an outline and being prepared with it, and maybe some scripture verses if, it's, um, if it works or if, it's, if the person's willing to hear, depending upon where they're at, um, is very helpful. And so in this conversation about angels, I was able to say, well, actually, this is what you need to know. And, and so after asking the question if she really wanted to have that relationship, she looked at me and said, yeah, that's that's something that, that I need because the, I don't know what else this angel, this presence I'm feeling, would, would want to tell me. And, and so we, right there, prayed a basic prayer for her, acknowledging that she believed and accepted Christ and that she wanted to follow him. And, and so then, after praying that prayer, we talked a little bit more about what it means to follow, not just check a box on a piece of paper and give it to someone, but what it really means to follow Christ and obey Christ, and so, and then we talked about being connected to a church, and um, and you know I followed up with her a little bit more and getting her connected, and and she really appreciated that, and and now it's neat to see where she's at and growing as she's connected with a, um, a church and <clears throat> um, has that relationship, and it really all started because of whatever she was sensing and me being open or available, keeping my eyes open to that opportunity that God brought to me. Um, sometimes I've, I've, I've worked with um, Campus Crusade for Christ, and I can pick on them just for a little bit. But sometimes I've, I've heard staff say, well, we need to pray so we can go out and, and find someone. And that's, that's good, and I've, I've seen a, a fruit from that. But I also know that sometimes it's simply being open to what God brings before us. And not, need, not thinking, oh, I have to go out somewhere. Oh, I have to go and find someone. Rather, it's simply having the willingness to let God um, bring someone in front of you and, and taking that opportunity, wherever it might be. So, and then, and of course, being prepared. And so that's the one of the key things of knowing if you have that opportunity, what are you going to say? And being able to, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to know a lot, but enough to be able to say, this is the good news. This is what I believe um,
0: and, and can share it. So that's my story. Appreciate it. You know, Tim really summed up like what it is we are to say. And as the worship team comes back up, um, maybe you don't know how. Well, now you do. Or maybe you're scared. You're like, oh, I don't know. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit prompts us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, lives in us, and and that resurrection power is available to us. So if you're thinking like I'm just not sure how this is going to work out. Um, you know what you can say, um, not tritely, but just God loves you and, and there's a problem and there's a solution and there's a response. And then what I loved about what Tim said too is, you know, some people, they, they think they want to pray and they want to go somewhere to, to help people. Um, and we call those mission trips, right? And sometimes when we think about those things, we go, oh, I'm going to go across the ocean on this mission trip. Well, we believe that restoration This new church, we're on a mission trip all the time. So there's a card in your worship folder that has some scary words on it, like what's your one step in the word evangelism. But um, beyond those scary words, uh, look down below. It says prayer, care, and share. Um, Because if we just think about like Monday through Saturday as a mission trip, like Tim said, being prepared and then having our eyes open. I think this speaks to what he means by having our eyes open. Um, When we go on a mission trip, we pray. We pray about the accommodations. We pray about the food. We pray about the people. We pray about how we're going to relate to people. We pray about the opportunities that we might have. And so we spend a life in prayer. So what if we did that during the week? What if we prayed for opportunities and we prayed for actual people Monday through Saturday, not just today? And what if when we go on a mission trip, we cared? which I think we do. We show concern for the people that are there and we serve them. We do acts of service. We put ourselves below them to esteem them. What if we did that the rest of the week and we cared? And then on a mission trip, we, uh, we share. We know that part of the reason that we go is to share about Jesus, to have an understanding, an outline, a God, a problem, a solution, and a response. We go and we know that that's a kind of a major point of going on a mission trip. Well, what if we did that wherever and with whoever and whenever we had the opportunity. Again, not forcing natural overflow. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we naturally want to overflow that and share that. Like my love of superheroes, I want to share that with you. And my love of spandex and triathlons, I want to share that with you. And, and Jesus, not to get off track on spandex, and Jesus, like he's made a huge difference in my life. And authentically, I want to share that if we lived our lives as a mission trip across the street, across the neighborhood, and across the city, I think we would see amazing things. And that's why, that's why we're here. I missed it with Gary and Julie. And I didn't get to be an initiator. But God brought somebody else. And although I missed that and didn't get to have that overflow in my life, I know there's other Garys and there's other Julies, and I'll never make a box again. I'll never have a top five list of people who will not come to know Jesus. I have a neighbor who I'd love to put on that list, but I threw that list away. I no longer have a list. And now I just pray every day, God, whenever, whoever, and, and however, wherever, I will be available. Maybe that's your prayer today too. So let's close in worship.
2: All right, would you guys stand with us, please? Savior, he can